Hey, we're in week five of a series that we're calling Parables, and pretty excited about this. Let me read you just a quick verse from Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 through 13, and it would say this. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. And to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This is an interesting uh, teaching today that we're going to do. Um, and, and I'm going to read you the parable here in just a minute. But it is interesting to me how many people came to see Jesus's miracles, how many people came to hear his teachings, and how many people really did follow him, but how few of them were actually followers. And today, um, it's this parable that we're going to unlock really is something that I, I would say, I would ask you with your life, are you listening uh, Jesus would, would, would say, uh, the apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, 14, uh, but, but the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. And, and I think it, to, to us that are actually listening to Christ, we're hearing his voice and we're following him in our life. God is speaking and he is leading. Um, and, and I believe it's his desire that you unlock the secrets of these parables. This one I'm about to read is pretty heavy. Uh, and with that being said, I'm going to ask you all, would you stand with me as we read God's word today? This is Jesus's parable. Uh, it is known to many as the wedding feast. Jesus, I'm going to read it to you. I like reading that out of the actual Bible here. Let me go. Okay, well, 1 through 14. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fatted calves have been killed. And everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he invited ignored them and went in their own way, one to his farm, another to his business, others even seized his messengers and insulted them and even killed them. Quite extreme. Then the king was furious. He sent an army to destroy the murderers and burn their towns. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I have invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go to the streets, corners, and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they can find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, I pray that you would give me ears to hear and eyes to see what it is you're talking about. 
help me communicate this. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I want to make sure that you and I understand kind of the foundation of what I, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life. And everything comes in Christ. I believe that healing comes in the name of Jesus. I, I mean, I just I believe in God's word. Um, and so as, as this teaching is going out, it's actually a little alarming to me. Um, kind of the stuff that he says in it, I don't really like the, the, the flavor or the tone of, of this story. It's like, man, hey, can I, uh, can I get like a redacted version that's maybe a little easier to chew on? Uh, this sounds a little harsh, Jesus. And I think when many people picture like heaven and, and, and God and is like clouds and wonderfulness and like this just great, wonderful, easy peasy thing. But it is also a really terrible, difficult thing that's going on here. Um, I believe eternity is real. And uh, what is interesting is when we say we're going to do a series on parables, probably, I don't know about you, but the majority of us, our eyes would go to stories uh, like the Good Samaritan or um, the, the Parable of the Talents or, or some of these like fun stories. But um, I've counted like 25 to 30 different what I would call parables in scripture as I've been going through them all. And more than eight of them are, uh, are what we would consider eschatology uh, ones that are about death what uh, is about final judgment uh, that is about like people dying. And, I, and then it makes me wonder like, why is Jesus telling us this story? Well, he would actually say this story followed by prior to three other stories just after he came in on the donkey in the Jerusalem on the last week of his life and he just got done cleansing the temple and he just went to the fig tree that had no fruit on it, that he wanted to eat, couldn't find any fruit, and he's looking at Israel thinking, why do you not have fruit in your life? Why don't you have a prayer life? Why, why do you come to the house of God to trade and sell goods, but not to pray? And um, I think Jesus is quite angry with the state of Israel, and he's actually telling us what we don't see is going to happen one day. And I don't know what you imagine, but several facts that I want you to, 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 to think about in this story. It starts off by, by illustrating a story about a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. My first point today is that there's going to be a great wedding feast Come on, somebody. There's going to be some food and dinner in, in heaven, man. I don't know. I just, my wife went, well, we got, uh, my grill went bad. And so we, she allowed me to get a new grill this week. So I got this new smoker. And uh, and I just can't imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. Like, we're the ribs. Imagine ribs on, G, on the Lord's table. Come on, somebody. If you don't like ribs, you ain't welcome here. I just got to tell you right now. There ain't none of that vegan stuff going on here. All right, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I didn't mean it. I apologize. Kind of. Um, there is a great wedding feast. The scripture tells us about that. Um, you know, it's, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. And what's really important is in this story is the king would send out invites, but he's inviting them 
not just because the bulls have been uh, 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 slaughtered and the calves and then the meals are prepared. He's not inviting them to dinner. He's inviting them to celebrate the sun. And I want to make sure you understand that everything that we do, it's not about connect groups. It's not about our worship team. It's not about our lights or our parking lot or friendly people. It is all only about Jesus. And if it's not about him, we're missing the point. And if your life is not about Jesus, I'm, I, I'm here to tell you, you've missed the point. Everything evolves around him. The scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything that was made that was made was created for him, by him, and to him. It is all about him. And so what is really alarming, though, in just about all of these stories, you're going to see, not all of them, and a lot of them, an alarming response that Jesus is trying to say when he's telling these stories to people who aren't really listening about this invitation that's gone out to sons and daughters who don't want to come. It's like you're already part of the family. We have a dinner. It's made for you. Come, supper's ready. It's time to celebrate. And what the scripture says is that they didn't answer the call. It actually says that they went home to their businesses and to their farms. It's very troubling to me. Because I wonder when God's calling us, and please understand, he is calling you. What are we busy doing when he wants our attention? When he's saying there's something important, what are we building that isn't his kingdom? I, I, I only share this story because I believe that Jesus has a perspective of what's going to happen in the day of judgment that I have no idea what it looks like. But I, 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 I realize that when he has sons and daughters of God who knows that they're not, they're not ultimately even going to answer the call. What's happening in their heads that they've convinced themselves that they're good, they're in, that I can be a part of the family but not be doing the Lord's work. I'm doing my own, building my own kingdom. And so I would just say the stuff that we got going on in our life, while it seems really important, Don't be distracted building things that ultimately, eternally don't matter. The feast is ready and the invitations are going out. And so this passage is going to talk then about some they went to their farm and some they went to their, their businesses, but others, they seized these messengers and they insulted them. And, and, uh, and I, what they're talking about Israel, at this, he is talking to a people in Israel, but I believe that Jesus' words always carry through time. The word of God is alive and it has ability to speak in every day and age and in every culture. And I believe he's very much talking about Israel, his beloved chosen people. You need to understand, Israel was chosen. We, if you are not born Jewish of Israel descent, 
You were grafted in. You were called and you answered the call, but you were not his first chosen elect. Does this make sense? We are Gentiles. Uh, and we, we, and so we became believers because of the love and the invitation that Jesus extended to us. But the alarming scenario is that Israel, uh, it says that they that they stoned and killed the messengers. I think of those as the prophets, the one that came and said, Hey guys, everything's wrong. We got to get the house of God in order. There's things that God's calling us to do. And when people say things that you don't like or inconveniences you, it's really critical that we don't shoot the messenger. And so when pastor's telling you things you don't want to hear, like make sure that you have people in your life that can tell you that you're wrong. That's just important. And that's why I, I think it's important that you're not a Christian on your own island. You got to have a small group. You got to have people. You got to have a pastor. If people don't, can't tell you that you're an idiot, then you're an idiot. Because we all have blind spots. We all have things we can't see. And it's our real friends, real family that will tell you where you're out of order. And if the house of Israel can become out of order, friends, you can too. Is that fair? As I keep reading here then, um, then I, I see the king, then he's so annoyed by his chosen people that he opens the invitation and he says, go out and invite everyone. I, I'm, the evangelist in me doesn't know of a more important thing to do. That there's going to be a day where our son, the son of man, the son of God is going to be honored. And we want to make sure that everyone is there. We want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to know how good and how worthy he is. It is our job to make sure that as we do life, others know that he is worthy, that others know that he is faithful, that others know that he is powerful and that he can heal and that he can redeem and that he can wash and that he can cleanse and that he is still currently doing it. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? And so he says, go out and invite everyone. So, but the problem is, he does invite everyone to come in. For the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. What is he talking about? My, my, my second point, my first point today is that there's going to be a wedding feast. My second point is, is come clothed. <laughs> come clothed, right? I, um, I want to tell you what, what's happening here is that this is an illustration. Remember, he said like, uh, he tells parables because some will understand it and some won't. And the purpose of what he's trying to say is that in the day of Christ, in the day of judgment, there will be some that, that are attending this conversation about the Lamb, or attending this celebration of the Lamb, attending the celebration that he is the resurrection and the life, but they're not clothed. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? Well, in the Garden of Eden is where we understand that there was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are some small connect groups that are studying this right now. And the reality is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil became a shortcut to godliness. It sounded right. I mean, it's, it's, it's knowing good and bad. It's knowing holiness and purity. It's what can be wrong with this? What can be wrong with just attending church? What can be wrong with just being in an atmosphere of Christians? A lot. 
Because it's, it's not about like this fellowship doesn't save you. Be, being in church doesn't change you. It, it, be, being in a church that I remember back when, when youth group, we used to say, uh, uh, being in a church doesn't make you any more Christian than being in a car, uh, being in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? Like, and so it, it's, the reality is like you have to recognize that this is about him. And we want you to have a relationship with him. And so when Eve took of the apple or the fruit and she ate of it and Adam ate of it, they realized they were naked. And that's where shame came in. I believe that when the day comes of Christ and we stand with him, when we actually see holiness and purity and righteousness for the first time, man, there's going to be a lot of people that realize how selfish and ungodly and wicked our hearts really were. And I only want to compare myself to him. Some of us in the day of the lamb are going to feel we don't have the right clothes on. Now, he'd say, he said, I noticed a man that wasn't wearing the proper clothing and I asked him, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? And the man had no reply well, I, what is important for you to understand, not only is Jesus going to share this parable, this isn't just a one-time story. In fact, I believe that this will be an actual event. He's telling us about the event, and he's saying it so many times through so many writers in Scripture because this day terrifies Jesus. Because of how much he is, it's how much brokenness he has in his heart because of this day. The agony of, of the loss that he will have in this day. That he'll use multiple parables to tell this story and he'll use multiple writers to tell this story. Let me just show you some of the other contexts that we're gonna see throughout scripture. In Galatians chapter three, verse 26 to 27, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Like putting on new clothes. Here's a really neat passage. This is found in Revelations chapter 3. And if you, if you were to close your eyes, it's almost like I'm reading a, a different the same chapter that I just read to you, but like from a different translation. Like, imagine just for a second I'm reading the message book, you know? And the same, same thing in Revelations chapter three. Let me read it to you. For I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, but I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, and I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and naked and blind. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you'll be rich. Also, that you would buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness in ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Hear this. He's telling the parable. I want you to really see. So I need you to open your eyes. I want you to really be clothed because you're actually quite naked. I, 
I correct and discipline everyone I love. Now, I, this, this concept of nakedness, please understand, it's, it's not nakedness, it's knowing. Imagine if everyone, if you did something embarrassing and it was a secret and the world found out about it, like some of these people that are on the internet, you know, and they get like their secrets shouted from, and now it's like, how do I even go out in public and say anything? It, they're not naked, but they, they feel naked on the inside. It's like they're just gross. Well, imagine... We actually do know everything about you. I don't. He does. And that day is going to feel naked. And he says then, I, cor- I correct and I discipline everyone I love. I-, I appreciate that because this sounds really harsh, but he's not trying to make it harsh. He's really trying to say, I love you. So this, this comes off like terrible, but really, I love you. If you just listen to me, I have really good advice for you. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. He's saying, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting everyone to come. But you can't come wearing what you got on. I want to make sure you know how much you know about Jesus or how many scriptures you can quote or all of the things that you can say better than me doesn't make you a great believer. It's not our knowledge of Jesus. Like you have to understand, God's not impressed with my knowledge or my ability to communicate. At the end of the day, I have to come to Christ and realize, God, the only one that can fix me is you. The only one that can cover my sin is you. And so he says, I, I, I challenge you to buy gold from me. I, I challenge you to, to buy clothes from me. And so as I think about that for a second, what is he talking about? How do we buy clothes from him? Just a couple chapters later. So, so we hear Matthew talking about this parable. We, we hear Paul talking about this parable. We, and, 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 and Luke is going to share different parables that sound just like this. You're going to hear in weeks to come. Uh, you're going to hear uh, uh, John say parables like this. It's so crazy how many times this same parable with a completely different story is going to come across. But in the book of Revelations 19, here's another one. He says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly in the wages of righteous war. And his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name written on it, no one could understand except himself. Verse 13, listen to this. He wore a robe that was dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven that came behind him were dressed in the finest and pure white linen, and they rode on white horses. What I love is, coming back with what Dean was talking about earlier, Jesus' robe was dipped in blood. I like to think it was the shedding of his blood. And in the shedding of his blood is what made our garments clean. He would go on to say, then I saw an angel standing there shouting, come and gather together for the great banquet of God that he has prepared for us. 
just think it's significant. He said, again, some other guy's telling the same story, the same story. There's a dinner. We want everyone to come. And everyone needs to be dressed in white. Everyone needs to be dressed in white. Imagine a beautiful bride with a dress that's soiled. I can't avoid sobering messages because Jesus said them. And I can't avoid the reality that many of us can convince ourselves that we're in a good place. But only you know when he's washing and cleansing you of your sin. And when you, when we come to him with our filth, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to buy robes from Jesus or gold from him, but I, I, I have learned that something happens in my confession of, of my wickedness. It's almost like the transaction for purity is confession of filth. He paid for it. When I confess, God, I've done wrong. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't mean to look down on those people. I I have more pride in my heart. God, would you? And as I'm confessing, I'm I'm it's actually cleansing me and his spirit is filling me with his Holy Spirit. Rich, would you come? I have one last point today that is simple. I believe eternity is real. I think many of us fix our eyes on heaven. It's like what the whole world would like to believe. Uh, I came to Christ when I was 19. I was an unbeliever all of my life, and I mostly always believed in heaven. Uh, and there was a lot of times where I would probably gamble to believe that I would, I would go to that place, but I didn't really know why I believed in heaven. I was just hopeful that a place would exist, and I was hopeful that I would be good enough for it. But if I'm really honest, man, I've messed up so many things in my life. Surely if there's a place called heaven, I would mess that place up. And then I begin to hear the gospel of Jesus and realize, wait a second, there is also a place called hell. There is also an eternity away from God's presence. And I, I just want to remind you that like the, the hope of all of this is you not connecting with our church, but you connecting with Jesus. He is the only thing that can save you from you. The only thing that will get us into heaven is the blood of Jesus that he shed for us. And those that come to the, the, the supper of the lamb would only be there. Wait, I would be, in that day I promise like I'm a foodie. But Teresa threw a birthday party for me uh, a couple months ago. We had all kinds of good food there. But seeing people that I loved forgot to eat. In the day of Christ, 
I won't be worried about what food is there or what benefits or what the river is like, but only the one that washed, the one that restored all of the brokenness in me and wiped away my guilt and my shame and all the insecurities that put me back together, the one that restored me, it's all gonna be about him. And everyone that comes for anything else, missed it. 